Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best day move related show on the planet at the John Campius Show. Coming to you from right here in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'll get to that in a second. My name, of course, is John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you. Our international friends gather around so we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff. Not just giving you our opinions, but giving you information and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or completely different from mine. And here's how today's podcast is going to go. We're going to start off by talking about a number of topics we have lined up here. We're going to talk about Transformers had a pretty good opening night for Rise of the Beast. We'll get to that. The Batman rumoredly has narrowed down the their search for Two-Face for the Batman 2. We're also going to talk a little bit about Boba Fett. Doesn't look like it's going to have a second season, but he will return. And it also looks like The Legend of Zelda is about to get the Illumination animated movie treatment just like the Mario Brothers did. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm in Las Vegas. Now here's uh, the reason why. So my wife, Anne, she's the vice president of her company, and they just had this big company thing out in Pittsburgh, which is where the head offices of her company is. So she has been gone all week. And while I like a good bachelor couple of days as much as any guy does, I also do get a little grumpy when I'm not, you know, when I'm kind of separated from Anne for a while. So she was stopping over on the way back in Las Vegas to see a girlfriend of ours, and I decided to drive out here and spend the weekend with her out here because... I had gone long enough without seeing her. I know that's kind of sad, but it is what it is. Anyway, guys, we do have a bunch of things to talk about here today. And uh, for those of you who normally watch either on Spotify or if you're one of our beloved YouTube channel members, uh, the video version of the show, there's no video version of the show because I didn't have a proper camera setup that I could do here in Las Vegas. So today is audio only, which is you know, how most people enjoy the show anyway. But yeah, let's not waste any time and get right into it. And we're going to start off with this. Now, Transformers Rise of the Beasts is now out in theaters, and I went to go see it. I did a quick out-of-the-theater review about it. We also reviewed the film on the John Campus Show podcast yesterday, but just a quick summary. I like the film. I had fun with it. I mean, it's not going to win any Oscars. I would not say it is a fantastic film, but I had fun. Actually, to me, it is the second best Transformers movie, second only to Bumblebee. Uh, that Travis Knight did a few years ago, to which I still have no idea why they didn't just do a straight-up sequel to that, and I don't have any idea why they didn't get Travis Knight to come back to direct it. Although Stephen Cappell, the director of Creed 2, did a great job with Transformers Rise of the Beast. He did. He did a very, very good job. Uh, the movie's enjoyable, and I had fun with it. Anyway, as you guys know, the Transformers franchise, which was a billion-dollar franchise at a point, got completely run into the ground with crappy movie after crappy movie after crappy movie. And eventually that billion dollar franchise just got hit and started to drop. And then unfortunately the real victim of that crappy succession of really bad Transformers movies, uh, other than the first one, I, I like the first one, but the real victim of it was the Bumblebee movie. Because everybody just thought, here we go again, another Transformers movie, and it's going to suck. Because remember, Bumblebee was coming off the heels of Transformers The Last Night, which was the worst of all the Transformers movies. That movie is god-awful. But, so Bumblebee comes out, and they made a great movie, uh, but it wasn't able to have great financial... It did okay, like I believe it might have even made a little bit of profit, but it didn't do great, right? So Bumblebee suffered for that. 
because they had run the IP into the ground. And along comes Transformers Rise of the Beast. Anyway, Transformers Rise of the Beast, the box office numbers are in for their opening night. And to put this in context, the last night had an opening night of $8.1 million. Bumblebee had an opening night of $2.8 billion, billion dollars, million dollars, $2.8 million on its opening night. Now that was on its way to having a $21 million opening weekend, okay? Bumblebee opened with $2.8 million on its opening night on its way to a $21 million opening weekend. Well, Transformers Rise of the Beasts just had its opening night numbers and it's $8.8 million. So triple what Bumblebee made. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean its opening weekend will be triple of what Bumblebee's opening weekend was. But I mean, there are some estimates that say could get to 60 million, which wouldn't be bad. So Transformers Rise of the Beast comes out better opening night than the last night, better opening night than Bumblebee. And so we'll see what kind of you know, full weekend it has. Now, the big question a lot of people have had is, how will it do in its opening weekend against Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which is, to me, the best movie of the year? It opened with $120 million. So it's going to be close. I mean, it it can beat out Spider-Verse for number one spot at the box office this weekend, depending on how big the drop Spider-Man is. If Spider-Man takes like a 55, 60% drop, then you're looking at Transformers needing to make 50 plus million dollars to maybe take the top spot from it. It can do that. It is tracking to do that. But whether or not it actually gets there, uh, we will have to wait and see. And and by the way, Transformers Rise of the Beast is one of these movies that I liked it, but I could totally see why others don't. Like right now, a majority of the critics like it, but it's only a small majority. I totally understand why a bunch of the critics who saw this movie didn't like the movie. I totally get it. I don't hold it against them for not liking it. And I can't sit here and say to you, unlike Spider-Verse, because, you know, Spider-Verse, I'm like, yeah, you guys should go see Spider-Verse. I think you're really going to like it. I can't say that about Rise of the Beasts. All I can tell you is that I had a good time. And uh, hopefully you guys will too. So yeah, if you guys get a chance, make sure you go and check it out. All right, guys, with that down, uh, let's move on to this, shall we? So Matt Reeves is the Batman came out last year. And by all metrics, it's a stunning success, right? Like the movie ended up with somewhere in the neighborhood of an 87 or an 85% critic rating, an 87% audience rating. And despite all the uphill battles it had to face, it made $771 million at the box office, despite the fact that it was yet another incarnation of a live-action Batman, despite the fact that there was a lot of confusion out there. It's like, wait a minute, is, we heard Michael Keaton's coming back as Batman. Wait a minute, I thought Ben Affleck was Batman. Wait a minute, is this part of the DCU? Is it not part of the DCU? So despite that, and despite the fact that you guys know what I'm going to say next, that they announced that Twilight Boy was going to be playing Batman, to which a lot of people were instantly very critical of the decision. I said right away that I thought the casting of Robert Pattinson was a great idea. You know, when he wasn't joking about not thinking he had to work out to play the role that got under my skin. But that aside, I thought Robert Pattinson was a great choice to play Batman. The movie came out. Matt Reeves directs it. 
It's a fabulous movie. It was in my top five best films of the year that year. Great success. Again, $771 million at the box office. High critic rating, high audience rating. Well, everybody's been asking, when is the sequel coming? Now, there is an unconfirmed report going around out there, but it comes from fairly reliable sources. But we'll still classify this as rumor, all right? But there's a report going around right now that the main antagonist of the film, or at least a key character in the film, is going to be Harvey Dent, a.k.a. Two-Face. Now, according to the reports going around, they have narrowed down to two actors who may be playing Harvey Dent. And those two actors are Josh Hartnett and Joel Edgerton. And I got to tell you, I really like both these guys. And I would have no problem with either of them getting the role. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you right now, I'm already happy. I'm happy. Done. Because if they announce Josh Hartnett got it, I think he's a tremendous talent. I think he's a tremendous actor. I'll be totally thrilled that Josh Hartnett's going to be Two-Faced. If they say Joel Edgerton gets it, I'm totally thrilled. I think Joel Edgerton is a super underrated talent in this business. He's great. Now, if you know the name Joel Edgerton, he's not necessarily a household name, but he was in things like The Green Knight, uh, with uh, Dev Patel. He was in Loving uh, with Ruth Nega, which he was great in. He directed and starred in that little film, The Gift, which I thought was awesome. Uh, And of course, to a lot of Star Wars fans, he's Uncle Owen in the Star Wars stuff. And he was in Zero Dark Thirty. And for me, I think my favorite performance of his was in a movie, an MMA movie he did with Tom Hardy called Warrior a bunch of years ago. Fabulous movie. Love him in it. Josh Hartnett, of course, Black Hawk Hawk Down, Lucky Number 11, Pearl Harbor. He was really good in that series, Penny Dreadful. Had, Had a weak ending, but Josh Hartnett was really, really good in that. Anyway, the idea of Matt Reeves as the Batman going in the direction of, say, a two faces, the main villain, that tracks because one of the things that's been a topic of discussion surrounding the Batman potential franchise and where it goes after the first film is Matt Reeves's Gotham, Matt Reeves's world is a much more grounded world than, say, the world of the DCEU. Like in Matt Reeves's Batman world, there's no Superman, right? There's no alien being with godlike powers flying through the skies and shooting lasers out of his eyes. There's no legendary mythical island of Themyscira where Amazon warriors, you know, send out their finest champion to be known as Wonder Woman. There's no guy flying around with a green ring on his finger whose power is only limited by that of his willpower. I mean, just that's not this world. And some of Batman's rogues gallery are characters that border on sci-fi, fantasy, magical Characters, whether you're talking about like a killer croc or you're talking about, well, several of the Batman things, right? So it's been a question about what villains do they go with? I mean, if they don't want to just heavily go back to Joker, because, you know, every iteration of Batman has their Joker. And of course they do. They should. Joker is synonymous with Batman. But, you know, a lot of fans would like to see them explore the rogues gallery a little bit as well. Now, we've been having some discussions around the show about what characters could those be. I've always been a big proponent of seeing KG Beast. Some people thought, you know, if you try to make it a little bit more grounded, you could do a Mr. Freeze. Mr. Freeze could be really interesting. You just have to science it up a little bit rather than science fiction it a little bit. So that would be possible. But really, a Harvey Dent or Two-Face is really a logical choice. 
I mean, he's a perfect character for that grounded kind of world. And to me, again, whether it's Josh Hartnett, whether it's Joel Edgerton, I think either of these guys would be fantastic playing that role. And I am down for it. Just as long as you got... I want to see Andy Serkis back as Alfred. I want to see Robert Pattinson back as Batman. I'd love to see Zoe Kravitz back as Catwoman. As long as Matt Reeves is directing it, I'll have all the faith in the world in it. So here's looking forward to that. Now, again, let me reemphasize this whole thing about that it's going to be Two-Face and it's down to Josh Hart and Joel Edgerton. These are not confirmed stories. Again, though, they come from a couple of fairly reputable sources, even though they're not the major trades. So take it with a grain of salt. This may not be true, but if they are, I kind of like the story. All right, guys. And for now, we're going to take just a second here and thank a couple of the sponsors of today's episode of the John Campia podcast, our friends at Honey and our friends at Manscaped. Today's episode of the John Campy Show is brought to you by Honey, the easy way to save when shopping on your iPhone or computer. Guys, more and more, we enjoy shopping online, whether it's on our phones or our computers. And how many times have you gotten to the checkout and seen that promo code box and thought, man, if I only had a promo code, I could save some money. Well, thanks to Honey, manually searching for coupon codes is a thing of the past. Honey is the free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds to your cart. So here's the situation. You're shopping online on one of your favorite sites. And when you go to checkout, the Honey button appears and all you have to do is click apply coupons. Then just wait a few seconds as Honey works its magic and searches for coupons it can find for that site that you're on. And if Honey finds working coupon, just watch the price drop. Recently, Ann and I were hanging out at home one evening and we decided to order in and the Honey button appeared. I was able to apply coupon and I actually saved like six or seven bucks. It was that easy to use. And Honey doesn't just work on your desktop computer. It also works on your iPhone. Just activate it on Safari on your phone and save on the go. If you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting this show. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash campia. That's joinhoney.com slash campia. Uh-oh, Father's Day is right around the corner and you haven't gotten your dad anything yet? Don't worry. That's where our sponsors, Manscaped, come in. You and I both know he needs some serious grooming in his life, so grab your dad the Performance Package 4.0 and he'll thank you for helping him tame that beastly hair. Go to manscaped.com and use code CAMPIA for 20% off plus free shipping. Guys, I don't know if your dad's anything like mine, but where my dad lacks some hair on top of his head, believe me, he makes up for it everywhere else on his body and Manscaped is perfect for him. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below the waist grooming and perfected their game with the lawnmower 4.0 this is the perfect gift presenting a sleek well-designed and optimized grooming kit that says your balls will thank you right on the box their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology this upgraded trimmer includes a multi-function on-off switch that can engage a travel lock this is great for any guy who does a lot of traveling it also gives you the ability to turn the 4000k led spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Haven't you always wanted to be able to shave your balls in the dark? And come on guys, almost all of our dads have that nose bush sticking out of their nose, right? Well, the Weed Whacker 2.0, the nose and ear hair trimmer, is the best nose trimmer on the market and the perfect gift for your dad. Guys, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code CAMPIA. Don't forget, you came from your dad's balls, so this year, show your original home some love with Manscaped. And thank you again to our friends at Honey and Manscaped for sponsoring this episode of the John Campy Show podcast. Okay, guys, 
with that down, let's move on to this, shall we? You know, Mandalorian uh, came right out of the gate. It was the first real show that launched Disney Plus and launched it well. In a really divided Star Wars fandom, Boba Fett seemed to be the thing that almost all Star Wars fans agreed on. Or, or sorry, Mandalorian seemed to be the thing that all Star Wars fans seemed to agree on. It came out and we all liked it. <laughs> Actually, we all loved it. We thought it was great. I thought season two was wonderful. And then came along the book of Boba Fett. Now, Boba Fett was introduced in a really strong way in Mandalorian season two. He was the John Wick when they brought him into Mandalorian season two, he was the John Wick of the Star Wars universe. He was badass. He kicked ass. He was fantastic. And when they ended season two with the teaser of the book of Boba Fett is coming, you know, with Boba Fett sitting in Jabba's throne and uh, Ming-Na Wen sitting on the arm of the chair. I mean, that was an awesome way to build anticipation. We were all excited for a Boba Fett series. Well, wah, wah, not it didn't turn out to be so great. I really liked the first episode. I did. And there are things about the Boba Fett series that I appreciate and I like. But overall, it was a pretty damn disappointing series. Uh, they made Boba Fett ridiculous. Uh, they talked about wars when really each side had like 10 guys. Don't even get me going on the Vespa gang running through the streets. I mean, there was just so many things wrong with the Book of Boba Fett, which was really a shame considering how great they reintroduced the character to the Star Wars universe in Mandalorian season two. I mean, there was so much promise there. Now, I'm one of those people that I believe that, hey, if something's a good idea, give it a chance to work. So even though I didn't like the Book of Boba Fett series, I am totally open to them trying again and doing a Book of Boba Fett season two. Well, according to a story that's going around, I think this is from several of the big Star Wars uh, sites and not the official StarWars.com, mind you, but several of the big Star Wars sites are, are talking about the fact that apparently, now I'm saying the word apparently, this is not coming from my sources, all right, but there is not going to be a Book of Boba Fett season two. Now, considering the general consensus of the first season of Book of Boba Fett, that's not surprising, right? Like, I'm not quite sure why they'd want to try to roll the dice on that one again, especially when they have other stories that they can tell. But according to the whispers, we haven't seen the last of Morrison as Boba Fett, that he may actually be showing up in Mandalorian season four instead. Now, of course, this would make perfect sense. There is no more famous Mandalorian in the Star Wars universe than Boba Fett. If you're telling the story about the continuing reunification of the Mandalorian, Mandalorian people and the reestablishment of Mandalore and all that kind of stuff, it would only make sense. It would feel weird to not have the most famous of all Mandalorians ever also be a part of that. So that makes sense to me. Now, there's been a lot of stories that due to the writer's strike that production on Mandalorian season four has been delayed. Remember, John Favreau said before Mandalorian season three came out, and side note, I didn't love Mandalorian season three, to be honest, it was the weakest of the seasons, but before Mandalorian season three came out, John Favreau said that he had already written the scripts for Mandalorian season four, like that that was done. 
So we were kind of expecting and anticipating they may go into production on Mandalorian season four sooner rather than later. But again, according to these reports coming out now that the writer strike, even though the main bulk of the script is already written, has delayed things. And they were worried about a, a larger scale Hollywood shutdown, like everybody thought or a lot of people thought that the Directors Guild was also going to go on strike and that the Screen Actors Guild, they may go on strike. So they've kind of put everything on Mandalorian season four on pause for now until that all gets worked out. But again, according to the whispers going around, they're saying that we could see Tamora Morrison back as Boba Fett. And and I'll tell you what, while I totally understand not making a Boba Fett season two, I'm perfectly happy to not watch a Boba Fett season two. I'd be okay if they wanted to do it, give it another shot. That would be fine. But I'm also more than okay that they're not doing it. I will personally, though, look very much forward to maybe seeing Boba Fett and Mandalorian season four. I, again, I really like the chemistry between Mando and Boba Fett. The, you know, the directors of Boba Fett or of uh, Mandalorian just seem to know how to handle Boba Fett a little bit better, whether they will or not this time around, who knows? But uh, yeah, I think there's some potential there. So hope springs eternal, my friends. We'll see how that all goes. All right, with that down, let's do one more thing here. And that's this. Illumination and Nintendo partnered up for what is so far the biggest film of 2023, one of the biggest animated films of all time. I believe Mario Brothers is now the third highest grossing animated film in history. I think it's sitting at the $1.3 billion mark, sitting only behind Frozen 2, I believe, is right ahead of it. And then ahead of Frozen 2 is The Lion King, uh, the John Favreau Lion King movie. That's it. Third biggest animated film in history. Biggest film of the year so far. Monster success. Thanks to the partnership between Illumination Studios. Of course, they're at the same animation studio that does the Despicable Me stuff and the Minions and, and that sort of thing. But Illumination Studios and Nintendo. So ever since Mario Brothers... There's been talk of two things. Number one, when you're going to be a Mario sequel? And number two, what other property will they do? And the one property that has been mentioned in all the whispers, and it makes sense, is Zelda. That's it, right? Because there is really nothing else in Nintendo's library that. I think comes anywhere near close to the popular. I mean, Mario Brothers is it. Mario is synonymous with Nintendo. That's it. You think Nintendo, you think Mario, that's it. And there's really nothing else that kind of holds that spot with Mario. But if there were a second place, I think it's probably Zelda. And Nintendo's game, um, Breath of the Wild, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, is some people consider to be the greatest video game of all time. Almost everybody acknowledges it as the greatest Nintendo Switch game of all time. And by the way, they just had their sequel come out, Tears of the Kingdom, which has done bonkers business for them already. And more importantly to this particular topic, Zelda has a long, rich history of games with Nintendo, as does Mario Brothers. And with the huge popularity of both Breath of the Wild and now Tears of the Kingdom, and by the way, some fantastic storytelling, like far better than any quote-unquote story you're going to get in a Mario game, right? A history of fantastic storytelling with those things. It would make sense that that's the next one up. And we have heard some reports that there were talks going on. Now, a little while ago, there was even a report going around that Sony was looking 
or Sony. Nintendo is looking at maybe getting a live action Legend of Zelda movie together. Now, look, I will tell you straight up where I sit on this. If I was an executive at Nintendo, say I was an executive at their entertainment division, their their movie and television division, not that they have one. I would say Legend of Zelda, we do live action. Mario, perfect for animation. I would do personally Zelda live action. Well, according to a new report coming out, I believe this was from uh, Jeff Snyder's reporting this, that right now, Illumination Studios, who did the Mario Brothers movie for Nintendo and Nintendo, are pretty much getting ready to sign the deal for Illumination to do a Zelda animated movie. And here's the really interesting part. Because I don't think any of us would be surprised to find out Illumination and Nintendo are going to partner up to do a Zelda movie. That's not really surprising. The surprising thing to me in this report is that they're saying that would be the next movie. And I have always thought, and if you've listened to the show, you've heard me say this. I have always believed that Yes, I think they'll do a Zelda movie at some point, but obviously next up will be Mario 2, a sequel to Mario, the third biggest animated film in history, the number one box office film of 2023. That's what they're going to do first, right? They'll clearly do Mario 2 first, and then maybe they'll do a Zelda. Well, again, now they're saying in this particular report, if, if Jeff's to be believed here, that the next thing up is Zelda, that Link is next at bat. And that, to me, is kind of fascinating. Now, that that might be true. It might be not true. Maybe he's, when saying that, that'll be the next movie they do. Maybe he means that in terms of not necessarily excluding Mario 2, but the next property in the Nintendo lineup that they're going to do. I I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying, I'm going to be pretty surprised if they do end up doing this before Mario 2. I would think that they'd want to move on a Mario Brothers 2 as quickly as possible to strike while the proverbial iron is hot, so to speak, if you know what I'm saying. But I'll tell you what, either way, after looking at what Illumination Nintendo did with Mario Brothers, which is not the world's greatest movie, but I mean, there's not a lot of story there, but there's no real story in any of the games. I mean, nothing with real significance or depth, right? But they still managed to do a really good job with it. Made a very lighthearted, entertaining, fun little animated film. And I applaud them for it. They did a great little job with that. But I'd be very curious to see what they could do with something like A Legend of Zelda that does have a long history of some pretty deep, some pretty rich, and some fairly good recent success as well in a property like that and to see what they could do translating that to the big screen. I think that could be really fascinating. Anyway, all right, guys. Next up, here's what we're going to do. For those of you who are listening to our podcast, you may or may not know that we also have a YouTube channel. And on that YouTube channel, we have some beloved channel members who support us, and we love them. But every day we ask those channel members if they have topics or questions they'd like to have addressed here on the podcast. And so we're going to go over now and take those questions. But before we do, we're going to take another moment and thank another sponsor of today's episode of the John Campia Show podcast, our friends and my mobile service provider, Mint Mobile. We want to thank a sponsor of this video, 
Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, your utility bills and favorite streaming services, inflation is everywhere. Seriously, make it stop. Thankfully, there's one company out there that's giving you a much needed break. It's Mint Mobile. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. You guys know that ever since I switched to Mint Mobile, I've been saving almost 70% a month over my old phone plan. For people looking Looking for extra savings this year? Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just $15 a month. By going online only and eliminating the traditional cost of retail, Mint Mobile passes the significant savings on to you. All of their plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just $15 a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash campia. That's mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. And thank you to, again, my mobile service provider, Mint Mobile, for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show podcast. All right, guys. With that down, let's get on over and start asking our channel members what they have to say. And by the way, guys, you can become one of our YouTube channel members. Look down to the description and you'll find a link to go and do that if you wish. All right. Our first question from a channel member today comes to us from Boris uh, Nekakovsky, who writes, Hey, John, if the Screen Actors Guild went to strike, are there roles outside a direct acting role that could be impacted, such as actors who are hosting a TV show, or is that completely separate? Thanks. You know what? That's a really good question. I kind of wish I was back in studio right now with Chris, uh, because Chris, of course, is she's a member of the Screen Actors Guild. So it'd be great to have her here. My guess is that, yes, it would impact that. Because I think most hosts, quote unquote hosts, I think they are SAG members. And I think I could be wrong, but I think that things like hosting and, and stuff like that of a TV show, I think that would fall under it. Now, of course, they're still acting that actors could do, right? They're still, I mean, primarily a stage they could get in, involved in local theater, go and act there. I mean, that wouldn't be paying all that great, I'm sure, but there's still that. So there is some forms of acting they can do, just like the writers have some forms of writing they can do. It just can't be for movies or TV shows, whatever. But I think there might be some options. There. That's a great question, Boris. Again, I wish Chris was here that she could give you a much better answer than I could. All right. Next up, we have Real One Talk who writes, my mom is convinced I have a problem after discovering that I've now watched Across the Spider-Verse seven times in theaters, but I don't plan to stop. It just gets better with every viewing. Are there any films that you don't get tired of rewatching? Well, I mean, first of all, uh, the beautiful thing about Spider-Verse, it's an infinitely rewatchable film because it, there is so much going on on screen, both from an artistic point of view and just plain like elements kind of point of view that you could watch this movie seven, eight, nine, ten times and still discover things that you never noticed, saw or recognized before. Right. That's one of the great things about this movie. Now, movies that I can watch without ever getting tired of watching it. Um, 
I am not saying it's the greatest movie ever made. It's just that I don't know why I could watch this movie over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, Zoolander. I don't know why I can keep watching that movie infinitely. It doesn't matter. 40 year old virgin is another one. Of course, all the star Wars movies, like things like that. The hell even Lord of the Rings. And, and it's funny because even some of the best movies of all time aren't necessarily the most rewatchable. It's kind of weird the way that works out, but those are just some of the ones I have. All right. Uh, next up, Azihos writes, no question. Just wanted to say thank you for all your awesome and hard work. Oh, thank you so much for that, Zeos. Appreciate that, man. All right. Dr. Stinky writes, hey, John, I just rewatched Stranger Things season one. Nice. And it made me remember how good the show is. I cannot wait for season five. You know, what's interesting. I did not love Stranger Things season one. I mean, I, I liked it. I did. I, I thought it was kind of neat. It was creative and inventive. And I love the fact that it's got a Dungeons and Dragons because I'm a Dungeons and Dragons player. So it had a real Dungeons and Dragons connection and all that kind of stuff. I, I appreciated it. And, and I appreciate it enough that when season two was coming, I was looking forward to it. But this is a show that to me has gotten better and better. I know season three wasn't everybody's cup of tea, but for whatever reason, season three really worked for me. And then, of course, we had season four. And again, to me, I'm not saying it's my favorite show of all time or it's even in my top 10 favorite shows of all time, but this Stranger Things is a show that has gotten, I think, progressively better and better. And I'm right there with you. I'm very, very excited to see season five. All right. Uh, Tucker Voiles writes, with Beyond the Spider-Verse coming out near the Oscars, how big of an opening could it get? Um, I know this is way too far out and very general of a question. Um, well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's opening up after the Oscars, so it's not like right up against the Oscars. But how big of an opening can the movie get? It's, I think, Beyond the Spider-Verse, which is way far off. But this is a movie franchise that has gotten better. I mean, the first one was already incredible. Into the Spider-Verse is amazing. Won the Academy Award for Best Animated uh, Picture. Should have been nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. And that, you know, translated into a $120 million opening for the sequel, which is insane. Beyond the Spider-Verse, and with everybody loving Beyond the Spider-Verse, Beyond the Spider-Verse is going to have an even bigger opening. I'm thinking 150, 160. Uh, I, I'm, I'm honestly thinking we're, it could potentially even be the biggest opening film in animated film history. Uh, that's how big I think the potential is. Now, the unfortunate thing about Spider-Verse and the box office is that the films don't play well overseas. I mean, Americans love this franchise and Americans have gone out in droves to see it, particularly the new one. But it struggles overseas. The international audiences don't seem to have the same appreciation for it as North American audiences do. But again, if we're talking about pure, simple opening weekend box office, I think it could potentially be a record setter. Well, we'll find out. All right. Thanks for that, Tucker. Next up, uh, Stefan Delint Routers writes, UFOs or UPAs, as they're now called, are back in the news lately, which often reminds me of the X-Files. Were you a fan of that show? And isn't it time for a reboot? Well, I mean, I liked I watched uh, X-Files. I wasn't the biggest fan in the world of it, but I watched all of it. I watched all the seasons of it. It got a little weaker near the end there. Um, then they did a movie and then they even relaunched the series just a couple of years ago. Remember, they brought it back. They revived it. Had David Duchovny back. Relaunch it did not do great. Um, I, 
See, I don't know what the purpose of rebooting the X-Files would be because many shows have come out over the past 20 or 30 years that kind of follow that same pattern, like Supernatural Mystery of the Week. And so I, I think as odd as it would be to say, especially considering the revisiting of it, the relaunching of X-Files didn't go so great, the renewal of it, I would almost rather see them take another shot at bringing back Duchovny and co and try renewing it again than doing a straight up reboot because a reboot there have been so many shows now in the last 20 years of its ilk that I don't know where its place would be um, in that in the whole landscape of that I just don't know where its place would be but you never know you never know all right let's see Nelson Miha writes hey John and crew in the past, of course, there's no crew today. It's just me because I'm in Vegas. Uh, hey, John and crew. In the past, Christopher Nolan has expressed interest in doing a James Bond film. But with that franchise at Amazon slash MGM control, Nolan would be forced to work with a studio outside of his go-to Warner Brothers or now Universal. Do you think his hesitancy to work with other studios will impact a potential Nolan Bond film from ever happening? No. And you know what? There have been more whispers recently. I mean, it's really, really rumor, so I decided not to make it a topic on the show, but... There are more whispers going around that Christopher Nolan is talking with the Broccoli's, who is the, the you know, Barbara Broccoli is the one who ultimately controls James Bond. There have been whispers that Nolan and her have been having talks and discussions and stuff like that. Whether that's valid or not, who knows? But here's the thing. I don't think Christopher Nolan has hesitancy in working with other studios. I, I think he's like anybody. When you find people in a company you're comfortable working with, you tend to keep working with them. And when a company finds an individual they like to work with, they'll make it worth their while to be in that. Like for the longest time, Warner Brothers was in the Christopher Nolan business. And whenever Christopher Nolan had a new project, they wanted that project. They wanted to be in the Christopher Nolan business. And Christopher Nolan liked working with them until, of course, you know, they moronically blew everything up and they started doing their straight to streaming nonsense and all that kind of stuff. And Christopher Nolan and them very publicly parted ways. Now he's over at Universal doing Oppenheimer, which I cannot wait to watch that movie. But I've never gotten any indication that he was hesitant to work with other studios. Just because you have people you really like working with doesn't mean you don't want to work with other people. So let me put it this way. If if and that's a huge theoretical hypothetical if. If Christopher Nolan and Barbara Broccoli are talking James Bond, I don't think the fact that it's not going to be at Warner Brothers or Universal is going to be an impediment to that. I, I think he would do it. If if it's a project that appeals to him, if he gets the right creative freedom to do it, I don't think that, honestly, there's going to be um, any problem with him taking that on and doing that himself. That, that's just my take on it at any rate. Okay. Lore Howard writes, Hey, John. What 90s or 2000s show would you like to see reimagined, like, say, Battlestar Galactica? Examples, Dead Zone, the original of Nikita, Dark Angel, Dollhouse, Eureka, etc. Just like how you think and wondered about your opinion. Well, some of those would be pretty interesting. Dark Angel's pretty good. Uh, Nikita, you know, um, what was the Jennifer Garner show called again? Alias. Alias was kind of, in a way, its own kind of Nikita. Show I loved Alias, by the way. That's the show where I totally fell in love with Jennifer Garner. Uh, and I am still in love with Jennifer Garner to this day. Eureka wasn't interesting. I had a couple of friends who were actually in that show, as a matter of fact. Um, you know, it's not 90s or 2000s. It's a little bit earlier than that. It's 80s. I've always thought, I really do think, even though they, they tried a movie version with 
Liam Neeson and Bradley Cooper. I, I really think an A-team could work. I really do. A covert spe- underground special ops unit that's it's kind of also like the equalizer that, that works to help people who can't get help anywhere else. Right? I think an A-team uh, relaunch of some sorts, I think that could work today. But I've always said this one. Airwolf. I loved Airwolf. Also, probably the greatest opening music, theme music ever in any show ever. It's awesome. I love the music to Airwolf. Um, So I would be really down personally for them revisiting uh, Airwolf. All right. Next up. Uh, Everything. Sorry. Try that again. The Everything Entertainment Network writes, Little Mermaid, Fast X, both looking to lose money, and current projections have Elemental, The Flash, Transformers, and Indiana Jones as questionable, uh, if they can make their money back. Could this be a year with good-slash-great movies, but a ton that's still underperform? Well, yeah, that's every year in the movies. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, honestly, that's every year in the movies. Some movies hit, and some movies don't. Um, it's going to be interesting. I think Flash is going to be fine. Like, I don't, it's not going to be a billion dollar film. Like, I've, I've had so many people arguing with me about that for months, but I've been telling people it's not going to be a billion dollar film. But I think it will be fine. I think Transformers could be fine. Indiana Jones may end up being fine, but it, it, I mean, with the early projections right now, that's only going to open to 60 million. That might be problematic. But, but listen, every year, you're going to get a bunch of high-profile films that knock it out of the park at the box office and some high-profile films that don't, right? And what's really interesting is we're starting to see there used to be a pretty dependable correlation and ratio between domestic box office and overseas box office. Like, there used to be a pretty good formula that, hey, if a movie makes X amount of money domestically, it'll probably make Y amount of money internationally, right? There were always exceptions, of course, 100%. But it was always at least loosely a semi-reliable equation you could count on. But we're seeing a bigger and bigger disparity between that. A great example of that right now is Little Mermaid, which is doing really well in North American box offices. Uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse doing really well at the North American box office, but they're both really struggling internationally. And we're seeing a little bit of a growing chasm there over the years. But yeah, again, to the basic point of it, um, really, really think that the every year you're going to see big hit films and films that kind of disappoint. All right. Next up, uh, Calum writes, will you be doing a spoiler discussion for Rise of the Beast? I don't think so. Uh, partially because I'm traveling right now, but also because I tend to do open spoiler discussions for movies that get a big audience. I mean, there's not a lot of point in doing an open spoiler discussion for a movie that not a lot of people have seen. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, we're talking about Transformers Rise of the Beast. Like, Little Mermaid was right on the edge of being big enough. And that movie opened to $95 million. Well, it, it looks like Transformers is going to only make like two-thirds of that, like even less, like probably around 50 to $60 million. So because of that, I don't think enough people are seeing it. So I, I don't think I'm going to be doing an open spoiler discussion unless I get like a massive influx of people telling me they desperately want us to do a, uh, a Transformers open spoiler discussion. All right. Uh, let's see here. Next up. 
Uh, D-Train writes, is it normal to tell a girl I've seen a movie five to ten times in a theater? I'll tell you what, D-Train, it's perfectly fine to tell a girl that. But if that girl gives you any sort of negative reaction, that ain't the girl for you, my friend. Keep shopping. Keep looking. Uh, because, you know, if you're a big film fan and the idea of seeing a movie multiple times, like if the idea, if the idea of you watching a movie that gave you joy multiple times is something that to another person is a turnoff, that person is not somebody you probably want as a part of your life on a regular basis. So, yeah, there's that. All right. Let's see here. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, here's one. Uh, Nelson um, Nelson. Alfaro writes, have you commented something about Ted Lasso and the succession finales? Yeah, I, I love Ted Lasso season three. I mentioned this on the show the other day. Absolutely loved it. I read some really big criticisms about the season and I agree with all the criticisms about Ted Lasso season three, about the fact that it had no focus story, that every single episode seemed to focus on a different character doing different things. Uh, they didn't really satisfactorily, but I mean, I, Roy and Keeley should have ended up together. That That's how that absolutely, you spent years in the show, the first couple of seasons about building that relationship. And then all of a sudden it was just in one episode, the relationship was over. I, I thought that was dumb. But while I agree with all the criticisms that Ted Lasso season three had, I still really loved watching it. Watching that show made my heart smile. I liked it. Succession, very strong final season. Loved the final season. Wasn't super big on the ending, ending, ending of the final episode. I thought that could have been done better, but still uh, irrelevant. The The whole season was great. I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was a lot of fun. The drama was great. The acting performances were next level. I mean, once we found out one of the, the main characters died, it was like, well, that kind of main character was kind of the heartbeat of the show. So I can now understand why they're not going to do a season, whatever it is, five well, I can't remember. Was this season three or four? I can't even remember now. But I can understand why they're bringing the show to a conclusion without Brian Cox moving forward. So, uh, yeah, there's that. All right, guys. And that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campy Show podcast, a solo edition. Uh, thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to our YouTube channel members, because number one, you gave us great fun topics to talk about. But number two, you support our channel just by being a YouTube channel member. And all of us here on the show, thank you guys for your support. All right, guys, uh, I will be doing an open mic. If you guys are listening to this earlier in the day, I will be doing a live open mic from right here at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas uh, a little bit later this afternoon. Make sure you come by and check that out. Apologies that there was no John Campia newsletter earlier today. Again, I'm out of town. So uh, that one kind of had to fall by the wayside. The newsletter will return on Monday. Don't worry. And uh, yeah, that'll do it for us for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.